Chapter 5, Perak Hay, brings to a close the beginning section of Sefer Yoshua, which is the crossing of the Yardin, and serves as an entree into our discussions with respect to Kibush Haaretz, which last for, for, for a number of prakim, the capturing of the land. Uh, transitions essentially most of the way through in the Perak, where a couple of events occur at the outset that are directly related to the crossing of the Yardin, and the establishment of the people in the land. And then ultimately the scene with the Malach Hashem, with the angel of God, at the end of the parak, sort of shifts us into gear with respect to the coming wars that are to be. So our parak, again parak Hay, has a few very significant issues and events that take place that are monumental with respect to their impact on the Jewish people overall, and certainly with respect to the, their, their place in the story. The first, of course, at the outset of the parak, beginning with Pasakala, is the notion that the crossing of the Yardin, the crossing of the river by the Jewish people, has in fact had a very large impact on the kingdoms and the kings in the land of Canaan, the land of Israel. The Pasuk tells us that in all of the kingdoms, the kings of the Amori, different than the Amori that were on the other side of the river, meaning the Jordanian side of the river, but rather those that are on the side of the, uh, of, of the river on the Israel side, and all the uh, kingdoms of Canaan, which are closer to the, the Yam Hagado, which would be the Mediterranean, that they heard about what happened at the Yardin for B'nai Yisrael until they completed crossing. So their hearts melted. As we said in the previous parak and before that with respect to the words of Rachav, that their hearts had melted and they had no belief any longer that they could be successful in countering against uh, Israel as it advanced. Uh, we'll see in the war with, um, with Yericho, that that seems to be the case as they close themselves in the city and they don't seem to make an attempt outward, but rather in defense mode internal inside the city itself. Of course, however, that doesn't last very long. And as I mentioned in the previous parak, that it seems that as much as the uh, Goyim um, believed in the power and the strength of the Jewish God, they didn't believe in the all-powerful Jewish God um, to the degree by which they would have walked away or given up um, at the outset. It seems then, of course, that the crossing of the Yardin had its purpose and it was successful. Yoshua is uh, a great leader in the, uh, of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are comforted by the notion and confident by the notion that God is amongst them. And that now also the third part of that is that the non-Jewish uh, enemy is crushed, emotionally crushed, their confidence is crushed, as the Jewish people begin to advance. Interestingly enough, the next two events that take place have nothing to do, per se, with a nation that is on the cusp of an impending battle for the capture of the land. One would think the last thing that a person would want to do would be to weaken his soldiers, um, but in fact, Bismillah is the first thing that takes place. At the same time, uh, the concern with respect to food may not be necessarily where a person uh, would be focused in the modern situation. Nonetheless, the Torah, the Navi here, is particularly interested and particularly focused on 
the bris milah event and the food event and the Jewish people's sustenance going forward before it goes on and details any battles that may come. One can establish it as the notion of the performance of mitzvot in the land, which is significant, certainly, and as well as the establishment of the spirituality of the Jewish people as they go into battle. Uh, we'll see, of course, in the Battle of Yericho coming in the, come, in the next parak, um, what you would call a spiritual war um, without, the, uh, without a shot being fired, that it's a very different, unique type of battle situation, um, and perhaps the physical and emotional and spiritual preparation of the people is significant um, in the period just prior to any of those types of battles taking place. Pasuk Bet. So here the Jewish people get brismila. It seems to us that in the course of time, over the course of the years in the Midbar, the Jewish people did not have brismila done, and that now upon entering the land, the sealing of the covenant of the Jewish people with God is in the act of brismila, the performance of the mitzvah of brismila as given to Avram Avinu. There was a large debate amongst the commentaries as to what does it mean now that they're getting brismila. Does it mean that they didn't have any form of brismila at all over the course of the decades in the desert? Does it mean possibly that they had a form of brismila and now the finishing or the completion of that brismila um, is taking place now? Does it mean perhaps that some of the people had brismila and others did not? What exactly is it? And we do have a, a disagreement amongst the commentaries, amongst the different mefarshim, with respect to this issue. Significant issue and understanding where Klal Yisrael is, where the Jewish people are at this moment, and perhaps an understanding of a language that comes up uh, further on in the parak, which is what's called Cherpas Mitzrayim Me'aleichem, that in the establishment of the city of Gilgal, by virtue of giving it its name, that it has removed what's called Cherpas Mitzrayim, the embarrassment of uh, Mitzrayim from amongst the Jewish people. What exactly does that mean? So we'll see what happens here. The term Shenis um, is part of that discrepancy. One looks at the Rashi here on the text. Shenis, Rashi says like this, That on the day when they left Mitzrayim, when the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, the large multitude of the people, in fact, did get brismila before they traveled. And shakol ha'arba'im shana shahayu ba'midbar lo nashva lehem ruach tzfonis v'hayal lehem yom noach lamul k'moshe shaninu be'yevamos. But on the time of the, all the days in the midbar in the desert, the ruach tzfonis did not blow. There was no north wind, and there was no day that was good enough. Physically, in terms of the weather, or in terms of the atmospheric pressures and the atmosphere around them, that would be um, maybe what we would say safe enough to perform a bris milah. Then Rashi quotes the second approach. That a certain portion of the bris milah uh, ceremony, and the event itself, and the performance of the mitzvah, it is being done now as opposed to before. That is to say that the first part, the removal of the orla, the foreskin itself, that already was, had been done. But the secondary piece of piercing the, uh, the member itself, 
this is the second half of the bris. So that wasn't done at the time, but it's being done at this time as well. The Dasofrim corroborates that such a notion, and the basic idea that it can't be that the Jewish people, the Dor Hadea, the Dor Hamidbar, the nation that uh, received the Torah, the nation that saw the miracles of the Midbar, the man, learning Torah to feed a Moshe Rabbeinu, didn't have any form of bris. It seems to be very far-fetched. And therefore, all that they were missing was the completion of that process. And since that is the most dangerous portion of the bris physically, that was deferred until a later date. But in fact, one can view them as having had bris mila the whole time, and the completion of that process later on. The Malbim does not take that approach. The Malbim takes the approach that simply, that Cherpas Mitzrayim is the notion that the Jewish people used an out um, to avoid bris mila at the time. And that is to say that they had the opportunity to do bris mila, but in fact um, avoided doing bris mila because they could say that the path and the trip was too treacherous and dangerous, and it's hard to argue with. That albeit there may have been parts of the Jewish people who in fact didn't seem to mind or care or were not concerned about the dangers. Shomer Psoyim Hashem, that God watches the fools. Uh, Shevet Levi amongst them in that, that all of Shevet Levi, according to many, many of the texts, in fact did have Rismila. But nonetheless, others use it as an opportunity out. And therefore, when the text continues, it essentially is a saying is that their fathers didn't do Rismila on them. They did not have Rismila in the course of the Midbar. This is Cherpas Mitzrayim. This is an abomination. This is an embarrassment. And now it's time for Yehoshua to remove that embarrassment from them um, herein. The Radak uh, offers a slightly different approach. And where he quotes the Rashi initially that talks about the dangers of the weather being the case, the Radak says, no, the issue here was the danger of traveling. Since it was that the Jewish people were traveling based on the word of God, they didn't know necessarily in advance when they were going to move. By virtue of not being able to know when they were going to move, potentially it could be dangerous. A person could have a bismillah today, then be commanded tomorrow to travel. That's physically dangerous. By virtue of that danger being in play, the Jewish people simply didn't do bismillah because they were being held at the whim and the desires of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, which were not known to them in advance. Different than the case of Moshe Rabbeinu, in the event where he delays in giving his son bris mila, the Jewish people are not punished in any way. There, Moshe Rabbeinu is on the cusp of death by virtue of the fact that he shouldn't have waited, and he did wait. And that his movements and his actions were based on his own ideas, albeit the command of God that he had to go back to Mitzrayim, and he could have done bris mila first. Here, by virtue of them being in the Midbar, already being in the situation, and not knowing when they're going to move, so it allows them, or gives them the opportunity to not do brismila at the time, and then requires upon them now resting, interestingly enough, right before doing battle, having the opportunity to be in the land to do the brismila at this time. Pasukim, Avayasla Yoshua Chavos Tzurim. Yoshua makes the tools necessary for brismila. Vayamalas Bnei Yisrael El Givas Aralos. And he does brismila on the Jewish people in that place. Why it is that other members of the Jewish people don't do it, or is it exactly only Yehoshua? Again, part of the discussion and the discrepancy amongst the different, different commentaries. Radak makes the notion that Yehoshua goes back and back and back and continues to do bismillah, bismillah, bismillah over and over and over again. Oh, we do have Shef, um, uh, Shevet uh, Levi, we do have Kalev, we do have other people who survived. Nonetheless, it seems from the text that Yehoshua is the one. 
Pasuk Dalit. All those who participated in the war, i.e. the rebellion, i.e. the Miraglim story, they all died in the Midbar when they left Mitzrayim. All those who left Mitzrayim, Pasuket tells us, had Brismillah. And all the children that were born in the desert did not have Brismillah. Again, allowing for the differences in the commentaries, right? Excluding maybe the tribe of Yehoshua. Excluding perhaps some who um, took it upon themselves to have Brismillah anyway. Because 40 years they walked in the desert. Until the end of the generation of those who fought in the Midbar, those who rebelled in the Midbar, who didn't listen to God, who didn't listen to the notion of going into Eretz Yisrael. Remember, think of the timing. Had not been for the Chet Miraglim, the Jewish people would have gone into Eretz Yisrael immediately in the aftermath of Arsinai. It would have been a much shorter period of time. A number of weeks, right? Yitzhiyat's Mitzrayim to Shavuos is seven weeks. So after then, we have to assume that a short period of time, according to the Torah, would have been approximately, let's say maybe at most a year later, when they start to move, I even saw Ha'aron. And now they're stuck 40 years later, they didn't have bris milah. So until the entire generation dies out, the entire generation that's punishable by virtue of that Avera, the Chait of the Miraglim, now you have all these un, uh, uncircumcised uh, children or adults. Right, that God Right, God had promised to show it to them. God had promised to show it to them, but in the aftermath of the Chet Miraglim, God promised them that He would specifically not show it to them, and that He would show it to their children. Parshas Shlach in the Torah, right? That it will be the children who will see it, and the parents will not. Tells us. And the children he established underneath them, in their stead. Osam Mal Yehoshua. Those are the ones the Yeshua gave Bismillah. They're uncircumcised. Those words, the last five words of that verse, are the basis, perhaps, of the Radak's understanding that it's by virtue of the traveling that they didn't have, they didn't have Bismillah. Kilomalu Osam Badarech. They did not have bris milah while they traveled on the path. Could be. Pasuk tells us that until they were healed from the bris milah, the period of time of the pain of the event itself, of the mitzvah itself, the physical pain passed, so they rested in the camp. Until they were they were strengthened again. Pasuk Tess, Vayomra Adonai, O Yehoshua, Hayom Galosi, Escherpas Mitzrayim, Alechem, Vayikrashem, Makomahu, Gilgal, Adayomazeh. I already knew it was Gilgal, but God gives it a reasoning behind the name. It could be that they just sort of set up in a camp, they arrived at a, uh, you know, at a park facility, and that was an open area, that they could all settle and be in as a group. And they laid out their tents and their locations and set up, set up camp and shop in that place. And it may have already had some sort of a name of Gilgal. Or perhaps now it's getting the establishment of the name of Gilgal. 
based on the, the idea that the Cherpas Mitzrayim has been revealed. That the Cherpas HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that God felt, that the Jewish people felt in this place until this time, is now being removed. One could view it from the Tzad HaMitzrim, right? As Rashi, as the, sorry, as the Mitzudos point out, Cherpas Mitzrayim, what does that mean? Shayu Mitzrim Micharfim, Halo Marilim Kamonu. Right? The Mitzrim are making fun. I don't understand. Or they were upset. I don't understand. They don't have Brismila. We don't have Brismila. Why them? Why not us? So removing that by now giving Brismila removes the claim of the Mitzrim. Mitzah Hasheni, maybe it's more psychological. That over the course of the many years in the Midbar, that the notion of Mitzrayim still held some sway with the Jewish people which we saw in the course of the years in the desert, with different complaining sessions and different situations, right? And we require, we have the notion of Mitzrayim Meisasvasayam, that when the Mitzrayim died at the waters, so that helped remove some of the psychological uh, servitude that existed. Here, perhaps, giving the Brismila literally stamps and seals the Jewish people and removes completely any notion, any relationship with Mitzrayim. We now sort of shift into a discussion with respect to food. They settled in Gilgal. The Jewish people in the second mitzvah that you do in Eretz Yisrael was Korban Pesach. Right? Something that had not been done for many, many years. Now at the footsteps, in, in, in the, the first steps into Eretz Yisrael, the Jewish people performed the mitzvah of Korban Pesach in all of its fanfare, in all of its glory, in the place called Gilgal. They've established, per se, let's say, the Mishkan. So the entire Makom HaMishkan is established. The Jewish people have a spiritual center to focus on. They're in Eretz Yisrael. The first time Korban Pesach is being fulfilled and performed by the Jewish people in the land of Eretz Yisrael. It's an amazing moment. Monumental for us to consider and to think about in our time. And monumental for them in their time. They talk about Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, they're thinking all the time about having left Egypt, about Kabbalah Satorah, the purpose of the acceptance of the Torah, to be in the land, to fulfill the, 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 the commandments in the land, and now here they are. The first mitzvah given to them, to given to the Jewish people, bris milah, right, given to Avram Avinu is bris milah, and now we have the connection to the, the Korban Pesach, dam milah, dam Pesach, v'yom alach, b'damai the language at the bris milah, that we say at a bris, and here it is, the fulfillment of Korban Pesach in Eretz Yisrael. The Jewish people begin to eat and partake of the food of the land. Again, think of it in the spiritual sense. Here they're now partaking of the items that are Kedusha Sa'aretz, Eretz of Aschal Eretz, Chita Usa'ora, Vagefanu Te'en the Torah talks about the beauty and the grandeur and the and the and, and, and the materials and the and the resources of the land, the fruits and vegetables, the produce that the land can produce, that which grows there that they can now use. The matzah of that Pesach was the first matzah made in Eretz Yisrael. Unbelievable stuff in the middle of that day. Let's say it's Tesvav. The 15th day of uh, Nisan. Others might say that it's the 16th day. Again, a discrepancy in the different commentaries. But nonetheless, they're partaking of the land. 
by virtue of them now partaking of the land and of the produce of the land, by Yishbos Haman, the man ceases. That which sustained them, that which was their source of food for many years in the desert, now stops. By Yishbos Haman Macharas and Pasukid Beis, Be'ochlami Avur Haaretz, Lohayaod Livnei Yisrael Man, Ba'yochlu Mitzvuas Eretz Kenan Bashanahahi. The Malbim points out the difference in language of Avur Haaretz and Tvuos Eretz Kenan. That what we have here is the notion in Chazal that the Jewish people perform the Korban HaOmer for the first time in the land. And by virtue of that, before they perform the Korban HaOmer, they partake of Avur Haaretz, from the word Avar, past, you can say. Right? That which already existed, what you would call in Halacha, Yoshan. And then, Tvuas Haaretz in that year. Tvuas Haaretz is the Chadash, that which is new to that year, by virtue of having partaken and participated in another mitzvah, the mitzvah of Korban HaOmer, they now can fully participate and partake of all that is growing um, in the land at the time. Save that we've mentioned the numerous times, Sefer called Sefer Yoshua Shoftim Alpiha Mesora wonders how it was that they had so much food available to feed so many people and who was willing to give it to them. It's an interesting question. He doesn't find much in the sources and in the commentaries that deal with it, but it's a good question. If these are all the people of the land are enemies, who's feeding the Jewish people? Um, where are they getting all of this produce from? One would have to think that for a moment there's concern on the on the side of the Jewish people. But even though the man stopped falling when Moshe Rabbeinu died, according to our Chachamim, our understanding that Moshe Rabbeinu passes away and the man ceases to fall from the heavens, nonetheless, they're able to cultivate and able to gather much on that day. And now the man is finishing. And now their ability to rely on a Kodesh Baruch Hu was over in that sense. And now they have to work and toil for their food and find it on the land itself. Nonetheless, they're able to, to sustain themselves and to find produce. So here, we have reached, in the middle of Perakei, we've reached a turning point. Because until now, all we've focused on is the establishment of the nation as it crosses into Eretz Yisrael, the physical layout of the people as they are set to go to battle with the Aron and the Kawanim and the Chalutzim, the pioneering soldiers. We've talked about mitzvah performance. We've talked about the, American, the monumental miracles and mitzvos that have taken place on this day. And now we have a shift, because now we move into mode where we're talking about battle, milchama. The end of the parak, hey, here, the last yitzukim, going into the next parak, really focused on Yericho, focused on the miracle of the war of Yericho, and it begins here at the end of the fifth parak with a famous event of Yehoshua meeting up with the Malach. Pasuk Yudgimel. Vayhibi Yehoshua b'Yericho. And so it was that Yehoshua was in Yericho. Rashi and all of the other different commentaries point out, not exactly in Yericho, but standing around, scoping out the outskirts of Yericho. Vayisa enough. Yoshua lifts up his eyes. And there's a man standing against him, facing him. 
and the man is holding a sword. And Yoshua goes directly up to the person and he says to him, Are you with us? Or are you against us? Are you with us, part of the Jewish army? Or are you fighting for the enemy? Now here we have to raise a few questions, which the Malbim raises. Some of the other commentaries raise as well. What is Yoshua doing? Going up to this person. Where is this person coming from? What question is he asking him at the end there? And what's the point of this event? What's the purpose of such a meeting that takes place? So the Malbim states, fascinatingly enough, that Yoshua recognized that this was a malach. He knew right away that this was not just another person standing against him, because if it was just a random person standing there, there's no way that he would have gone after him immediately or gone up to him immediately to speak to him. He would have either drawn his own weapon if he had one, or perhaps would have called some group of soldiers to arrest the person or take the person into custody, to surround them, to put himself in a position of power and strength. So it is that he recognizes that this is a Malach Hashem, that this is an angel of God. What is striking, according to the Malbim, is that he's Omed Lenegdo, that he's facing Yehoshua. That is to say, that the Malbim understands from Yehoshua that Yehoshua expects that if he's going to meet someone along the way, that it's going to be a Malach Hashem, that the Malach Hashem is there to help him and to help the Jewish people in the battle. And if it's facing the enemy, and if it's facing towards Yericho, then he knows that this Malach, this soldier, quote-unquote, is there to perform miraculous things on behalf of the Jewish people against their enemies. But here it is that not only is he not facing the enemy, and not only is he not simply facing or standing next to Yoshua, he's facing in the direction of the Jewish people. And Yoshua is perplexed. And thus he asks the question, Halanu anta imatsarenu. Who are you for? Who are you with? What exactly are you doing here? What's the purpose of this event? Your sword is drawn. Who are you exactly fighting for? Are you helping us? How much are you helping us? Is it completely miraculous? Are we going to have to battle? Are we going to have to fight? Vayomer. It speaks back. The man, slash, the Sartava, the soldier, slash, the angel, says, Lo, Kani Sartava Dunai Atabati. He says, I am a soldier of God and I have, arri- I have arrived now. Le'ezra Sechah, Rashi says, She'ein Adam Yacholi Lachem Aleho Letovsal Lahapila Choma. Rashi says, that no person could fight against and capture and take down the wall by and for himself. It requires much more than a person. Once Yoshua hears that, once Yoshua knows that this person, that this vision is there on his behalf and for the behalf of the Jewish people, Yoshua bows down. Falls on his face and he bows. He says to the to the vision, to the angel, 
what have you brought for me? What do you want me to do? What am I here to fulfill? What is the purpose of your visit? Tell me, speak to me, teach me. The parak ends. The Malach speaks. Remove your shoes from on your, from among, from on your feet, because the place where you stand is holy. Is the land of Yericho specifically uniquely holy? Any more so than anywhere else? Perhaps not. Certainly it's equally as holy as the rest of the land of Israel. But by virtue of this meeting taking place in this location, there is endowed an increased level of holiness on the place to the degree which Yeshua cannot stand there with feet, with shoes on his feet. It is clearly reminiscent of another event that took place years earlier when Moshe Rabbeinu was at the Snehab or Eish, when Moshe stands before the burning bush and a voice speaks to him from the bush and says to him the same exact thing, remove your feet, remove your shoes from on your feet, because this place is holy. And one can understand then that what follows, perhaps at the outset of the next chapter, which comes to us according to the commentaries of the Das Mikra, and many of the other different commentaries here, that what follows in the discussion at the beginning of Perak Vav, the holy words of God to Yeshua with respect to the capture of Yericho, is in fact the vision and the prophecy that this Malach, this angel, wanted to share with Yahushua, then one can understand how serious and how spiritual and how monumentous this moment is, and how it requires that Yahushua remove his shoes. The Datsofer makes a very interesting point here. Vayas Yahushua Kain, Yahushua does it. Yita Kain, says the Datsofer, it seems to me, ki es Yahushua bechalso es na'alo. That the nation would have seen Yahushua without his shoes on. Even if it is that the nation did not see the vision, did not see the Malach standing there talking to Yahushua, nonetheless it would have seen Yahushua remove his shoes with the implication that this is a holy moment, that this is a significant moment, Perhaps with the knowledge of the event that took place with respect to Moshe Rabbeinu, perhaps with the notion now setting in and settling in in their minds and in their hearts that what they're about to witness and what they're about to partake in and partake of in the upcoming battle with Yericho and further is different than any notion of battle that is to come. It's different than any manner in which they're going to fight and battle as a people, as a group, as an army, as they go forward. And it could be by virtue of that that the physical movement of Yeshua bowing down, which you may not have seen, but on Yeshua's return, Yeshua's coming back, them seeing him without his shoes, is perhaps the vision for them, an understanding of the sublime nature of what is about to take place. They have really no idea. They do not know what lay before them in the battle for Yericho and so on. But nonetheless, they're willing to see it out and they're willing to be a part of it. Continue tomorrow with Paraclub.